We're in Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin over in verse 36. This is actually a, a small parable that is buried in a situation that Jesus was in. <clears throat> some places record this as a parable, and some places don't even see it as one. But it is there. What is interesting is, it is before Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, he gives the parable of the sower to conceal truth from those who won't honor it. But this one is before that. It's in the very chapter before. And the purpose of this is to enlighten those who were not understanding. So the purpose of this parable is just a little bit different, but some very interesting things to observe here. And so we want to take some time to, to look at this. And we put up a bit of a summary up there on, on Facebook. If you were up there, you got a chance to read, read some of that. But last week we spent some time on the householder. And even though I spent a while on it, there was a whole lot of things I still left off. So I just wanted to review a few of those, those things with you. But you know that to have a, to be a householder, you need to establish a treasury. You don't have to have a treasury is, uh, that's equal to Jesus, to equal to Paul, John, Peter, all those guys. But you've got to have a treasure in which you can draw from. We said there are seven things to becoming a great householder. First off, have a treasure box. Second, fill it with Bible or kingdom principles. Third, Understand and walk in those principles. Fourth, use your lamp for its purpose. Sow the seed you have, was the fifth. Don't prejudge the soil. If you're not sowing, you're not reaping, you're not increasing. Number six was guard from what is false, corrupted, or what will hinder the growth, and growth will come and be beneficial. And seven, refuse devaluation from people who can't or won't value kingdom treasures. Now, one of the things we did not get into and get to go over <clears throat> is that a householder, and we talked to you about who a householder was, and every one of you is probably your, your householder or involved in the householding things. If your house needs something done, where do you go? Depends on what you need, but you're going to go probably primarily to your bank account. And you're going to spend funds that you have. You're going to go down to Lowe's. You're going to buy the new faucet. You're going to buy the hot water heater. You're going to hire the person to come in and fix something. If the house has an issue, that says no. <laughs> Everybody call less. And what's that number again? <laughs> you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to have to take some things out of your treasure house and fix it. If something broke, if the trash can in your house broke, you have to go out and buy a new one, don't you? If the mop isn't working anymore and you want to mop the floors, you got to go out and get yourself a new mop. These are things that you will do on a regular basis. Now, what would happen if your neighbor is their householder, but they keep coming over for you to take care of their house? They come over and knock on your door. I need a new water heater. Would you buy me one? I need a new faucet. Would you buy me one and put it in? I need my lawn cut. Would you come over and cut my lawn? I need my leaves raked. Will you come over and rake my leaves? And every time that they're, they have a need, they're calling on you. They're not doing it themselves. Now, you might do that the first time, right? And there's always times, you know, a neighbor needs a 
needs a thing, you go over and you help the neighbor. We look forward, I look forward to helping my neighbors. They come over and they say, hey, can you help me out with this? I look forward to it. I like to get involved and to do that. But for the most part, we do need to fix our own things. We need to learn how to fix our own things or hire the people to come on out there and do it. You are the householder of your life. There are many times that people, they're facing spiritual issues. They're facing sickness. They're facing uh, a need for wisdom. And they're always going to someone else to help because they've never established a treasure with inside themselves. God expects you to have a treasure for which you can draw from. There are going to be times that something comes upon you that is bigger than all that. Now, if I had time on this, there's an entire section of Scripture that Paul teaches on this very principle, and he teaches exactly the same thing, that you are to call on people when something is bigger than you. But for the most part, you should be able to handle the things that come in your life. And if not, you're not growing. You're not doing the things you need to do to get there. But that's uh, one of the things you can see from the householder here that we need to do. Many, though, never try to have a storehouse. They never get set for what might be coming. They never put the Word of God in them so that when they need to draw upon it, it's there. We also didn't go over the things old and things new. How many jumped on that? How many saw we didn't go over the things old and things new? It's kind of important for us to go over. I had actually uh, had some of the translations here for this. The New King James has read it this way. Then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Weish translates it this way. Who is a master of a house who is of such a character that he dispenses with hearty enjoyment out of his treasure house things new as to quality and also things mellowed with age by reason of use. There are things that you're going to have in your treasure house that are new to you. I just learned this principle. I just found this thing out. I just got this thing to work, but it's new to you. It doesn't mean you can't use it. It just means that it is new to you. If you go out to the Lowe's and you buy a new tool, just because that tool is new doesn't mean that you won't use it. Most times we go out and we buy a new tool, we buy something that we, we needed to fix something, it's because I got that for the purpose of putting it to use. There are times that God is going to send things to you, it's brand new, but you needed that in your life. He sent the tool to you. You need to make sure you bring that in. It's something new. There's also times that there's things that are old. I've had this for a while. I've known this for a while. And we need to, to hang on to it. Maybe something, something old that we are just old hat to us, but we're up to somebody else and they need help. Oh, wait a minute. I've got this principle. I know this, this thing that was, that was taught to me. And we bring that thing out. And so you're always going to be adding to your treasure house. It doesn't just have to be old things that have value. Sometimes it can be something brand new. Things new, things old. Some people also relate this as Old Testament and New Testament. only problem with that is, in Jesus' day, there is no New Testament. There is only the Old Testament. So it would be kind of tough for him to teach people something about the New and the Old Testament when there's only an Old Testament. And as far as they knew, there's only Testament. They don't have Old and New yet. But let's get over here to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. There's a lot in that one little verse right there that you might miss. 
If you are going to go and ask someone to come over and eat, what have you already done? You made some preparations. This is not the place you can go out to the Wegmans and pick up some containers of food and bring it on in. If you're going to have food ready, you had to be making it. So this would seem that the Pharisee had set it up at the house that food was already cooking. Preparation was already being made before he even invited them. And then he goes out to Jesus and invites him and has him to come on out. And Jesus went with them. So the Pharisee comes to Jesus. Jesus, will you come to my house for lunch, for supper, whatever meal it is? And Jesus says, yes. And so it seems that he follows them right there. Follows them right to the house. Comes on in and sits down. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman that is who is touching him for he is a, for she is a sinner. Hmm. So this woman apparently she wanted an audience with Jesus too. And she either heard that Jesus was going to this place the invitation was probably made to Jesus on a public street. Jesus was walking on by. Pharisee came up to him. Hey, come on over to my house. And so he went. Maybe somebody she knew heard this. Maybe she was standing by there and heard it herself. Maybe she saw him go into the house. We're not told. What we are told is that she came to the knowledge that Jesus had gone into the Pharisee's house. And this is where he was eating lunch. So she has this understanding. Now look at what she does. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him. Now they eat dinner differently than we eat dinner. And I looked at all kinds of pictures trying to get this. How do you stand behind a person and wash their feet? I tried to envision this because, you know, they have those couches that they sometimes. And I looked at some of the pictures that are out there. Jesus on the couch. I cannot get a vision in my head of how you stand behind Jesus and wash his feet. But that's how it's described. Not a whole lot of attention is given to it. But she it seems that she is trying to stay out of the way while accomplishing what she wants to do. I want you to look at this. In verse 37, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table, she waited for Jesus to get in and to sit at the table because she wants to make a beeline to where Jesus is. She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She brought it. It did not say she purchased it. 
that said she brought it. This tells me that she had the alabaster, alabaster flask of oil at home. She saw Jesus going into the house. She goes over to home. She gets her alabaster, alab, uh, the, the jar <laughs> of oil, and she brings that over to where Jesus is. She already had it. That's, that to me, that's important to know. She didn't just go out and get it. She already had it. She comes on in. She stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. I don't know about you, but I don't think I can cry enough to wash somebody's feet. But that's how it's described here. And wiped them with her, with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself. Not to anybody there. He spoke this to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So many things to get into on on all this. He says of her, he's looking at her, he says of her, she is a sinner. Now, the description in the, in the text here says she was a sinner. So I looked up that word was. And it was, the Greek was absolutely no help. This is one of those times that the Greek was no help to me at all. The word was here means was as in the past or was as in is. Not a whole lot of help there. Alright, so we had to go on for that. I will be able to answer for you which one that was, but not from the Greek. We'll be able to help you out. It is clear as can be in the passage what is intended. But you can dive into the Greek all you want to, and I dove into it all I could, and, and some people would interpret it as in past tense, and some people would interpret it she was an immoral woman. But we'll, we'll deal with that as we go on here. But when she knew that Jesus was at the table, this is when she comes on in. Now, do you think it is at all possible that this woman has an idea of what the Pharisees think of her? I'm pretty sure she knows exactly what the Pharisees think of her. I'll bet you a number of the Pharisees have made it unquestionable as to what they feel about this woman or whatever profession she had. Now, it does not say what her profession was. It just calls her a sinful woman. The assumption is made is that she is an immoral woman and could very well have been a prostitute. That is an assumption. We do not know that from the text. We just know that she was a sinful woman. This Pharisee Is he a sinful or a righteous man? He's not described by either one of those, is he? But by his actions, we can kind of figure out some things. The Pharisee sees her as a sinner. That's how he sees her. He's looking at her. She is a sinner. Why would Jesus have this woman to touch him 
seeing as that she is now, he said, he's not saying it was her past. He's saying that she is now a sinner. How many have ever had people who view you as you once were? You think you've changed. You've allowed God to change you. But other people still see you as you were. They talk about you as you were. They label you as you were. They never let you go out of what you were. Jesus could have come in your life and changed things. But they still see you as what you were. That's where this Pharisee was. This woman was trying to get out from under that. This Pharisee and people like her were putting her back under. Now, we don't know why this man, this Pharisee, called Jesus into lunch. I mean, how many times have you ever had lunch with somebody didn't have a purpose for it? Purpose could be, Oh, I haven't hung out with them for a while. I just want to see how things are going. That's a purpose. Might be, well, I need to ask their wisdom on a particular item. So I'll take them out to lunch and I'll tap into their knowledge that they have and see what they think we should do about this, this thing. Maybe it's just building, building relationships. Whatever, there's, there's usually a purpose. Especially when you come out and you make the preparations that this man did. And then seek Jesus out. He's got to have a purpose. So, what is his purpose? Is his purpose that he saw good in Jesus? And he wanted to bring Jesus over to the house? And, and see more of this good? Because right now, Jesus hasn't been quite soured upon by all the Pharisees. We're getting there. But he hasn't quite pushed them over the edge yet. So maybe he sees some good in Jesus. Maybe he was on the fence about Jesus. Maybe the debate is raging about Jesus in the circle of the Pharisees and he's on the fence. I'm not sure. Is Jesus good? I'm not sure. Is Jesus bad? I'm not sure. I'll have him over to lunch and I can talk to him about this and see is Jesus good or is Jesus bad? That could be. It may be that he was of those who brought him over to lunch so that he could trap him. I know how to get in good with the Pharisees. If I can get Jesus to say something that we can use against them. I don't know. It's, it, I think it's one of those three purposes, but we're never really told what it is. But whichever way it began, we do know how it ended. Now, since Jesus only did what the Father told him to do, went where Jesus told where the Father told him, since he's always up following those instructions, We have to assume, I have to assume, that Jesus is here because the Father wants him here. Now, think about all the things that happen at a lunch. There's food that has been prepared. How many of you can remember a lunch and you can think back on that lunch? Oh, I remember that lunch. Oh, yeah, I remember that lunch. There's a few meals you know, we've had in a, we've gone out to a restaurant. I think one time we were down to Florida. We were out there to visit Christian when he was in Pensacola. And Pensacola is a lousy place to go. I will tell you all, if you're looking for a place to go in Florida, Pensacola is not it. They have lousy beaches. Probably some of the worst beaches I've ever seen are in Pensacola. Now, we did find out later on, if you drive about an hour out towards Mobile, Alabama, they get much better. But they are lousy Right there. In fact, a lot of times they were posted so much that you weren't even allowed to go into water. 
So the only thing to really do in Pensacola, Florida, was eat at the restaurants. And they have some of the best restaurants. I still remember some of these restaurants. There was one in particular we were at. You may remember we talked about it when we came back. This was a long time ago that was. But um, it was a hole in the wall. And we were actually out there standing in line to get to this really highly rated breakfast place. And as we were standing in the line, someone came up to my daughter. And I told her, you know what, if you want some really good food, that one over there is better food. Well, there's no line. Let's do it. So we're going over there and we, we sit on down. I, to this day, still remember that breakfast. They came out with something. They had it on the menu. I will say I am the only one who ordered it. But they had something on the menu that was just tailored to me. And if you remember me talking about it, you'll remember this. Cajun grits. Everything about that appealed to me. I said, there's, there's no downside to this thing. So I ordered the Cajun grits along with other things. And, and of course, Lissy was much smaller. And she was uh, uh, more along lines of loomy, loomy size. And so she came over and she sat down on my lap. And she tried my Cajun grits. She liked them as much as I did. In fact, she ate pretty much my whole bowl. I had to order some more. And get some more of those. I can still remember those Cajun grits. I have never had grits that had that kind of flavor. I don't know what they added to make them Cajun grits. But, my, they were good. We were out of Florida this time. And uh, they had a particular uh, restaurant we went to. And they had grits available. They were some kind of a smoky grits or something like that. Well, I tried them. Man, they were good. They weren't Cajun grits, but they were, were really good. And so we, in, we enjoyed some of those things. But you all can, can have certain meals that you ate at some, maybe 10 years, maybe 15, maybe 20 years ago. But for some reason, that meal just kind of hit you. Or maybe it was a meal where the conversation and the people that were there, it was a memorable one. That was maybe the last time you saw some people before they went on to, to go on into heaven. Or maybe it's the last time that you had seen them before they moved away. Or something like that. But something along those lines would have made it memorable. And when you tell the story of that meal that you had together, you talk about the food. You talk about the, uh, the service. You talk about the people and the fellowship that you had there. There's something about it that is memorable. When we hear about this, this meal, and this meal was not 10 years ago. It was not 15 years ago. It was not 20 years ago. It was not even... 40 years ago. How many years ago was this? Around 2,000 years ago. And we have nothing recorded about the food. We have nothing recorded about the conversation. And yet somewhere the conversation had to be the purpose for bringing this thing together. Whether it was going to be good, bad, or indifferent. Somewhere the conversation had to be the point. But that is that does not make the narrative. What makes the narrative? The woman who was not even invited. The woman, the Pharisee, didn't even know was going to be there. And apparently, the Pharisee would have preferred was not. She is the focal point of this entire event. Her. Well, for being a sinner, that's pretty good to get that kind of attention, right? Here she is in the midst. This woman came in. She had a purpose. She had a thing that she wanted to do. She came in there. This is what I want to do. 
I don't care that anybody else is in the room. I don't care what they think about me. I know they don't think good thoughts about me. I will go into this room where people are going to be hostile to me because my purpose is I want to wash Jesus' feet with whatever I have available. And if that's my hair, so be it. And I want to anoint His feet with this very costly perfume that I have purchased. Sometime in the past, she purchased this. That's my purpose. She goes and she gets this. She brings it with her. She gets to Jesus. She doesn't ask for Jesus' permission. She just gets there and she she does this. Now we said in your put this in your outline. The woman was a sinner, is what it says. The woman was a sinner. Some people will always see you as what you were. Some people will always see you as what you were and speak of you as if you still are. Which is what this Pharisee was doing. But Jesus knew what she was, but saw her as what she has become. That's a hard thing for a lot of Christians to do, folks. So a lot of times as Christians, we look at people when we first met them, when they first got born again, we first saw them. We saw their hang-ups. We saw their shortcomings. We saw the mistakes that they make. And from that point on, no, I, I can't use that person. I can't trust that person. I can't be around that person. No. Because I'll never let them become anything than what I saw them to be. When you look at the people around you, do you emulate Jesus or Simon? I put Simon in there. Somewhere I got the detoured on the Simon, but it doesn't actually call him Simon here. But do you, would you, do you see yourself as Jesus or do you see yourself as a Pharisee? How would you, when you see people, are you always looking back to who they were? Or are you like Jesus and looking at who they are now? Who they can become? Which side would you rather be on? Would you rather be one of the Pharisees? Or would you rather be Jesus in this situation? Now we said when she knew, she heard that Jesus had gone in. When she heard about these things, she did seize the opportunity. She didn't sit around and wait. She just won right after it. She had to have known of the hostility that was in there. Maybe she felt protected by Jesus. Maybe she felt that, well, if I go in there, Jesus won't let them do anything. But regardless, she wanted to do what was in her. Despite how she felt. Understand this. She went to do what was in her to do. Despite how she felt about it. How many times do you have something in you to do, but how you feel keeps you from doing it? This woman got past that. We said she brought an alabaster flask. Now think about this. This woman is said to be a sinful woman. If you're a sinful woman, more than likely you are involved in some kind of uh, occupation that would put that label on you. Maybe it was a prostitute. Maybe it was something else. Whatever it was, she was a sinful woman. There's a, there's a lot you can read into the story. I want you to see. I want you to always insert yourself into the story. See yourself in the story so you can get the details of this thing out. If this woman was a single woman forced out on her own, or if she was a mother of a couple of kids out on her own, and she had to pick up a sinful lifestyle in order to support them. If that was the case, you would feel differently about her, right? 
oh, well, she's doing whatever she can. She got to feed the kids. She got to do do things. That's just all that she was able to do. You would feel a little bit differently, a little bit more sympathy for that. She has an expensive jar of perfume at home. How'd she get it? How did she get it? If you are skimping, trying to pay the bills and get enough food to feed the kids, pay the rent, are you buying expensive jars of perfume? Mm, probably not. Went behind your list, would you? How did she get the funds to finance buying this jar of perfume? What was she doing? I want you to notice this. Jesus does not ask any of those questions. And it does not hinder him from receiving this alabaster jar of perfume. Doesn't stop him from receiving it. Did you know that if you lived a sinful lifestyle before and you had a job in which it added to your sinful lifestyle and you made money at that job, that you don't have to just dump all that cash? That you don't have to get rid of all those things that you bought? That you can repurpose those things that you had bought before? This woman did not, very likely, did not buy this alabaster jar of perfume for the purpose of anointing the feet of Jesus. She probably bought it for some other reasons. But the gospel came to her and she got saved. I can I can show that to you. We'll get there. I haven't got there yet, but we'll get there. And she repurposed what she intended to use this for. She had it for some things. She looked at that and said, you know what? I don't need this if I'm not in that lifestyle anymore. What do I do with this? And she's thinking about it. And maybe it just came to her. I'm going to anoint Jesus. Because the message that he brought really ministered to me. And so she set out to, to do that. Her tears, her hair, and the oil replaced what the host never even thought of supplying. Do you get the idea that Jesus thought he should have? Do you get the idea that Jesus thought Simon should have supplied some of these things? Find out here in a minute. Now, I've made this note now. I want to make sure I give it to you because this is really important. But you'll see this in just a little bit. This is a really important point for you to understand. Jesus does not make a point of the lack of what Simon provided or didn't provide until he became critical of what the woman did. Jesus came into the, the, the lunch, was not provided water, was not provided oil, was not provided the things that apparently a host in that day should have provided. And he does not say a word about it. How many have ever had people come over your house that are demanding? Demanding guests. Anybody ever had demanding guests? That is not godly. That is not Jesus-like. Don't feel like you've got to accommodate everything because they are following an unholy example. Jesus walked into this. He never demanded any of these things. 
could have expected them. I put in your bulletin a quote that I wrote down. This is actually something I wrote down for one of the parables coming up. And as we're getting into this, it says, oh, I need to go get that one. <laughs> so I took that one on out. Assumptions give a clue of their presence when we are influenced to think higher of ourselves and less of others. Our own actions as good, but those of others as bad. Anytime an assumption comes in to your thinking, it will lead you, it will influence you into thinking higher of yourself and less of other people. If something comes into your head and you think higher of yourself than your boss, you've got an assumption going on, you just don't know what it is yet. If something comes in your head and it makes you think higher of yourself than your spouse, you've got an assumption. You just don't know what it is yet. Well, I know they meant to do this to, to hurt me. That's an assumption. Assumptions will cause you to think less of others and more of yourself. Assumptions will cause you to think that your actions are good while other actions are bad. Assumptions are facts assumed on the basis of emotion. Assumptions are facts accepted on the basis of emotion. Don't let that get in. That's how the devil loves to get in because he starts to tear things apart. This Pharisee has made an assumption about the woman and made an assumption about Jesus and is taking him down a wrong road. Let's go on. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. So here's, the, here's the parable. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, this is a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus makes up to illustrate a point. Jesus makes this story up, which means the details are what he wants it to be. That's important, also important to know. Simon answered and said, there's our Simon. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, I love that verse. He turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Picture this right now. I want you to get this in your, in your head. He turned to the, he is looking at the woman. But he's speaking to Simon. Simon, I got something to say to you. But he's looking at her. Picture that. That's how this is going. He's not looking at Simon. He's looking at the woman. He turned to the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? Oh, I tell you. <laughs> Do you see this? Jesus is looking at the woman. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Simon sees a sinner. 
do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. See, Jesus observed these things. He didn't demand them, but he observed. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. He made all the preparations for the meal, for the table being set. He did not make preparations in this way. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kisses, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Now, if you come over to my house, more than likely, I will not give you any kisses. That will not happen. But in Jesus' day, that's one of the ways that they greeted each other. That is not our way. I am not becoming like Jesus and adapting that way. That was the culture of the day. And that's what they did. And if you go to a culture around now and that's what they do, that's fine. But that's not here in America. At least not the parts I'm, a, I'm in touch with. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now, if you're wondering about that, what's, that, what's with that anointing of oil? Because I asked that question. What's with that anointing with oil? If, if I come into your house and you try and anoint me with oil, we might have a problem. So I looked this up. You remember the 23rd Psalm, verse 5? Thou anointed my head with oil. Huh. See, that was a a bit of a practice in in those days. In fact, I wrote down some some scriptures. If you want, you can write these down and check these out. Uh, I just wrote down four. There was actually more. But in Ruth 3, 3, Psalm 92 and verse 10, Psalm 104 and verse 15, Matthew 6 and 17, you will find that people anointed themselves, they anointed their head for the purpose of perking themselves up, brightening their face. Ruth 3, 3, Psalm 92, 10, 104, 15, and Matthew 6, 17. If you need to get any of those, missed them, let me know. Jesus is given a correction here. He's given a correction to Simon. He wasn't going to until Simon's attitude went south. Since your attitude went south and you start accusing me, accusing her, let's deal with you. And so he begins to speak to him. That's the purpose for our cartoon in the bulletin this week. How do you like your oatmeal? Some people like their oatmeal and cookies. Right? <laughs> I like my oatmeal. I like my oatmeal the way it was intended. I love oatmeal. Oatmeal is fun. I have oatmeal several times a week. I just like it. I don't care that it's healthy. You could write something and say oatmeal is not healthy. I'll still eat it the same way I eat it right now. You could tell me you will live a hundred years longer if you eat oatmeal. And I would still eat it. I don't want to live a hundred years longer. But I would still eat it because I like it. How do you like your oatmeal? How do you like your correction? Do you like your correction with a little bit of sugar? Or do you like it straight? Simon's going to get it straight. Now, let me read some of the other uh, translations here. And Luke, probably didn't finish reading. Where do we leave off at? 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Verse 47. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. So Jesus apparently knows her past. 
for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now that's a little tough for me to fully understand in that translation, the way that's rated right there. So I went out and got some others. The New Living puts it this way. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Remember the parable? Parable that Jesus told for this situation. Two people are forgiven. One's forgiven much, one's forgiven a little. Which one will love more? Simon says, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. I suppose. So the basis of that was the person who is forgiven more will love the person who forgave the most. We've got two people here. The two people are the woman and the Pharisee. Which one has sinned more? I don't think we have to dig too much into the text for this one, do you? The woman. Which one has sinned less? The Pharisee. Which one loves him more? The woman. That's the point of the parable. To unhappy Simon, understand what's going on here. With that understanding, you can understand this verse a little bit better. I tell you, verse New Living Translation again, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. Because she came in, because of the tears, because of the oil, because of all the things she's doing, she is demonstrating great love. According to the parable, the demonstration of great love signifies being forgiven a great debt, which means this woman entered into this house forgiven, not a sinner, but one who was redeemed. But the Pharisee saw her as the sinner. Jesus saw her as the redeemed one. And what she is doing now is an act of love based on the forgiveness that she has already received. So when you saw that in the text, she was a sinner. It is past tense. That's the intention. Simon saw her the same way. But Jesus saw her different. Williams puts it this way, Therefore I tell you, her sins, as many as they are, are forgiven, for she has loved me so much. Her sins, as many as they are, are forgiven, for she has loved me so much. But the one who has little to be forgiven loves me little. Now, Jesus gives corrections that are not always well received. I don't know how well this one is received. may not be received all that well. When a person would come in, into your house, in this part of the world, a token of honor, a mark of hospitality was to anoint the guest with oil. It's recorded in Egypt, Greece, Rome, as well as the among the Jewish people. It was a common custom among them for many years. It goes back quite a ways. And it continued among the Arabs and into the 20th century. 
Now, this woman, she was not the host. She's not the one who invited Jesus. She's not expected to provide anything. But she provided all these things that the host should have provided in a greater measure than was usual. She exceeded what she needed to do. Instead of water, I'm bringing you tears. Using my hair. I'm giving you kisses on your feet. And I'm not just anointing you, I'm giving you fragrant oil. And anointing your feet. Jesus did not expect it from her. But seemed like he expected it from Simon. But he never demanded it. The parable was short. It is meant to enlighten Simon about something he does not understand. It is meant, it is intended to bring light to Simon's life that he can understand this principle by something that he can grab hold of. Simon, I'm going to give you two people. Two people. Which one's forgiven more? Which one's going to love more? Simon can grab hold of that. Now, let's take that understanding. Let's bring it here into this. Now, here's this. To me, the idea is not simply how we are forgiven or how much we are forgiven, but how we view it. It is not how much we are forgiven, but how we view it. Because if I accept it's how much we are forgiven, then what happens to us people who grew up in Christian homes and never got off into the drug world, never got off into all the immorality, never got off into all those things, didn't have all that stuff to be forgiven. How can we ever love God more? In fact, I put it in Paul's words. Should sin abound, that grace abound all the more? No. So how do we understand this? Because people look at acts of sin. And they measure your acts of sin against my acts of sin. Let's see which one's a better person. But we were all born into sin. We were born into a debt we could not pay. And many people never realize that. They're always looking at their acts of sin. I never did anything all that bad. You don't understand. See, when I come into the understanding of what I was forgiven of, oh, I've been forgiven of much. I was born into sin and God redeemed me from the sin. And the more I come into understanding of being born into sin and been redeemed from sin, my eyes are no longer on the individual acts of sin. They're on how I came into this world and how God restored me. And the cost that was paid. Wow. How awesome is my God. And the more I come into to understand that, the more I will love Him. The more I will do like this woman. And I'm not just going to look for the water and the oil and the regular kisses. No, we're, we're going all out on this. Do you see this woman, Simon? No, you just see acts of sin. But you see, I see the woman. I see She has a love for me because she understands that she's been forgiven a great deal. You don't have that understanding. You don't love me the way this woman loves me. If you did, you would understand what she's doing.
Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now see, people look at that and say, well, now she's been forgiven. No, she was already forgiven. He is just stating what is already done. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I think this is astounding how these people respond to this. Jesus teaches them things that they don't know. Yet they question what he does that they don't understand. How is that possible? Jesus has taught them things that, oh, I never knew this before. No one's ever taught me things like this before. I never knew this kind of thing could come out. Where did this come from? They're amazed at his teaching. But then he does something that's beyond their understanding and they say, well, he's wrong. Really? Don't you think that maybe he's operating at a level different from yours? There are times that things go on in our life that we do not understand. How many have had things go on in your life you don't understand? Why did that happen? We can get upset with God. We can come to assumptions about why it happened. And generally all those assumptions will lead us to us being good and God being evil. God not measuring up to his part of the bargain. If you always see God is wrong, when something happens that you don't understand, you will hinder your growth. When something occurs in your life that you do not understand, I don't understand how this came in. Don't get mad at God. Don't cut off the source who's going to give you wisdom. Simply embrace it. Say, God, this happened, and I don't, know, I don't have the theology to support this. I don't know how this happened. So obviously, this is a learning experience. Teach me your ways. Let me know how this came about. Teach me. So I am ready to learn this. I wasn't ready yesterday, but now this happened today. We are ready. I want to learn. Tell me what I need to know about this so I can either prevent it or I can get out of it or I can do whatever I need to be, be done. But don't get mad at God. Come to God and say, God, I got something going on in my life. I do not understand what's going on there. Teach me about it. Remember when Jesus gave that teaching about eating my flesh, drinking my blood, and the people did not understand what they do. Got offended and left. What did the disciples do? They stayed. Why? Because you have the words of life. All right. I don't understand what you just said. But I know if I leave, I'll never get that understanding. If I stay here, I'll get it. That's how we ought to be with God. When something goes on in your life and you don't understand why it happened, don't get mad at God. Ask Him for wisdom on it. God, teach me. There's obviously something I need to know. Now, what is worse, that they get offended by it and shut down on the learning? They get offended on this? They shut down? They're not going to learn anymore. What do you mean you forgive sins? You can't do that. Now, let me go on to the next verse here. There's something here I really want you to see. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now, it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. How many were with him? The twelve were with him. Let me draw a picture of this for you. Is Peter with him? Yes. Is John with him? Is Matthew with him? Is Bartholomew with him? Is Judas with him? How is it that Judas does not get offended at this use of oil, but then the next time he's anointed for his death, he does? 
Did you ever ask that question when you read this story? Judas is there. Judas sees what's going on. But he does not get offended at this one. He gets offended later. Because right now, Judas is open to being taught. Judas is open to receive. He may not even be in charge of the money box yet. Maybe he is. But he hasn't taken advantage of that. But when the sin gets in and begins to pervert him and it begins to steal from the money box and it begins to take selfish opportunities and makes assumptions about Jesus, when he runs into this exact same thing down the road, he will become greatly offended and make some statements. That's just a side note from this little spot here. But the twelve were with him, which would mean Judas was there. Now, we're not finished with this yet. And certain women who had been... So the twelve guys are there. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzah, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. We know that out of Mary Magdalene came seven demons. But out of the other ones, the ones that followed, they had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. How do evil spirits come upon people? There's a way that this happens. Don't be thinking, well, I'm just walking out there, minding my own business, and bam, this evil spirit came upon me. Don't know how it happened. Just pew, there it is, and, and now I got it, now I got to get rid of it. No, that's not how it happens. Evil spirits do not have the right just to jump on people and take over whoever they want. They have to be given an opportunity. One of the words that is called for these is unclean spirits. All right, now we're going to get completely unpolitically correct. Totally, un- I, don't, I don't care. If you ever run into a gay man, how many of y'all know they have the same personality quirks? They have that effeminate part of the, about them. They talk in a way that is not manly. They walk in a way that is not manly. They act in a way. They think in a way that is not manly. Why? Because an unclean spirit has come upon them and is putting these things on them as, as well. I don't know for sure I can't prove this anyway in the Bible, but I think that a lot of times, not, not all gay people, but I'm telling you most of the ones that are out there, I think the spirit that comes on them was one time a spirit of a woman that came out of that race of people that was here on the earth, and that woman is transferring those things to him. We'll have to wait to get to heaven and find out I'm right. I'm okay with that. But somehow, this man picks up woman traits, and it's straight across the board. They start dressing. They start becoming sensitive to, to, to things that men are not usually sensitive to. The whole personality of it changes because the spirit will come upon them and put these things on. How did it get there? Generally because you got yourself involved in something you shouldn't have. The people who teach that all sins are equal are liars and deceivers. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that all sins are equal. In fact, it even comes out and says some sins are different than others. It talks about sexual sins and that sexual sins 
are different because you do them to the body. And they have a, a way of gripping, gripping you. There are people that got out there and they got, in, they got involved. People either, uh, men began to abuse boys. And these things had the opportunity to come on in. These are opportunities that are created. So there's all kinds of things with that. Don't get involved with Satan's stuff. Don't watch satanic movies. I'm not telling you that if you watch a satanic movie that the next day you will be possessed and you have to get... I'm not telling you that. I'm saying you're given an opportunity. Don't go out there and play Ouija boards. Don't allow Ouija boards in your home. Don't read the horoscope. Don't put an app on your phone that has the horoscope coming to it and, well, it's just harmless stuff. No, don't do it. Don't go get your palm read. Don't go messing in these areas. Don't be in a seance. Teach your kids. If you're over at a friend's house and they want to do some seance things, call me. I will come get you. Do not be in that atmosphere. Get out of it. Because there have been many stories of people that have been involved in these kind of things and that's when the trouble started. Remember that, who's that comedian who said, tells you the whole story and that's when the fight started. That's when the trouble started. Stay out of those kind of things because they're looking for grounds to get in there. They had grounds on some of these people for, for doing this. Some of them may have gotten involved in prostitution and that can certainly give you an opportunity for, for uh, demons to get on. It's not all at once. They don't just jump in and possess you. It's gradual things, but we give control to that. But don't play around with those demonic things. Stay out of it. Stay out of demonic thoughts. He can give you demonic thoughts about other people and they begin to just dominate you and you keep thinking about these thoughts about these people. This is what they're thinking about me. This is what they're doing. It's an opportunity. Even addictions are things we give control over to. I'm not telling you if you ever had an addiction in your life that you got a demon, uh, demon spirit. That is not the case. I'm just saying it is an opportunity. People that are in these situations are so glad to be free. They love to show their love for Jesus. Sickness and infirmities can be much of this kind of thing. If you yield to thoughts, if you, you know, that's, that's this sickness, that's this disease, you can eventually just be walking right after that thing. And it's more put on by a, a demon spirit than anything else. After this story, after this encounter, Jesus will teach in parables to keep people who didn't honor the truth from knowing it. This is the encounter that launched that. Because after this, after those verses there, we then go into the parable of the sower. And that's when he explains to the disciples, I'm teaching it this way so that they don't get. But for you guys, you get to know the keys of the kingdom. Main thing we need to know from this is see people for who they are in God's eyes instead of what they have or have not done. See people for who they are in God's eyes. Jesus is looking at the woman. Do you see this woman, Simon? Do you see this woman? Do you see the people that God has in front of you? Or do you see their shortcomings? Do you realize that you have been forgiven a great debt and that by loving the Father, you love on them? Our greatest and most concentrated actions of love will be toward what we see as the most beneficial for us. 
For some people, the most beneficial thing is their job and they put all their time and attention to it. Maybe money. They put all their time and attention to making money. Maybe a thing like a car or a house. They put all their time and attention into that car or that house. Maybe a pet. Even an addiction. We put all of our time and attention into that thing. If we truly understand what we are forgiven and what it costs Jesus, we will be like the woman and shower him with over-the-top acts of love in our worship and praise. I'm not looking to do bare minimum worship and praise. I'm looking to go over-the-top worship and praise. I'm not looking for the usual life of thanksgiving and rejoicing. I'm looking for over-the-top life of thanksgiving and rejoicing. I'm not into just reading, normal reading and study. I want over-the-top reading and study of God's Word. I want over-the-top on hearing the Word of God. I want to hear it every place I get to go. I want to constantly have the Word of God going on. I want over-the-top living the Word and doing His commands. I want to go over the... I don't want to do the minimum that I think God wants me to do. I want to go over-the-top and do this. I want to mimic what this woman did. This woman was forgiven of great sin and Jesus said, this is the result of it. She's here. She's doing this. This is the result of it. Simon, you didn't do any of these things. This is the result. She's over the top. In our seeking to understand His Word and His will, I want to go over the top. In our reaching out to love others, when I see other people out there and I can reach out and love them, I want to go over the top. I don't want to just do the minimum. In our looking for opportunities to share the good news and pray for others, I want to go over the top. I don't want to just hit the minimum. I want to go over the top I'm looking for opportunities to pray for others and share the good news. On inviting people to church and have a relationship with Jesus like we do. I want to go over the top. I want to be that kind of person. This, this short little narrative that Jesus gives, we have a woman who looked for an opportunity and didn't just do the bare minimum. Didn't just do what was not required of her, but she went over the top. Wet his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, kissed his feet, and brought her own paid-for perfume and anointed his feet. She went over the top. Mimic this woman. Go over the top. Don't look to do the minimum. You're motivated by how much you were forgiven by. And it's not looking back and say, well, I wasn't a drug dealer. I wasn't a bank robber. It's looking back and saying, God, I was born into sin. And no matter what I did on this earth, I was heading for hell. But you redeemed me. From an eternity of burden in a lake of fire. Then you'll go over the top. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you that you are raising us up to be over-the-top Christians. People who don't just look for the bare minimum in praise and worship. People who don't just look for the bare minimum in how much they study and read your word. People who don't just look for the bare minimum of how we share Jesus with others and pray for people. But people that are ready to go over the top and do exceedingly more than anyone expects. And regardless 
of how people in the room look at us. I don't care how they make me feel because I know what my Savior did for me. Father, those are the kind of Christians you're making us into. I thank you for it. Give you the praise and the glory that we are over the top Christians. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. Hope you enjoyed this parable. Tomorrow, as usual, we have our video teaching coming out. Got somebody who might be new for you. I didn't have as much time this week to uh, sit down and listen to things, so I was trying to cram a few of them in. I was actually looking at some of Marilyn Hickey things because I knew um, someone had asked me about some teaching on Proverbs and Psalms, and I knew that she was uh, one who would do that area. But everything I found on her, I would not put up. It just it was... I don't know. She, she used to be really, really good, but I can't find any of the old stuff. It's, it's just uh, more of the recent things, and she just kind of sits her down on a chair, teaches for a half hour. And um, I don't know. Nothing. I'll keep looking. I know I used to enjoy some of the things that she did a while ago. But have somebody up there coming. Lisa Harper. How many have ever heard of Lisa Harper? A couple people. All right. She's fun. She's fun. Now, I'm going to tell you this ahead of time. She and I do not agree on the greatness of the Beatles. We do not agree on that at all. When you hear her talk about the greatness of the Beatles, do not think your pastor is in agreement with that in any way. I do not. Do not like the Beatles. If I hear them in a place, I try and get away from listening to the sounds that are coming from the speakers. I just don't, don't like it. But it was an interesting story that she uh, portrayed about, about them. And I hope that you will enjoy some of the things she, she talks about putting the time in to be developed. And she has some particularly fun with a Greek word. Pulls out a Greek word has a good bit of fun with it. It's not real long. And uh, she does talk about what a real carpenter is. How many times remember when we've gone over that? And Jesus talks about a carpenter. Uh, we all think of somebody working with wood. We've gone over it. That's not what he was. And we went over, I went over with you some of the reasons why that was. She's going to go over it with you too. And, uh, and show you that. So if you ever wanted to see somebody else teach you the same thing on that, there you go. Her main point, though, is that there are no shortcuts in preparing for what God has in store for you. Not going to get a shortcut. You are going to go through what you need to go through to get ready for what's ahead. Just dive in and get ready. <laughs> Just take the whole thing. That's the way it'll go. So it's a fun, fun one. It won't take you real long, but uh, she might be new for some of you folks and you... And, uh, and enjoy that. So I hope that you do. Wednesday night, we are back into Zechariah. We're looking at chapter 6. We have the last of the visions. And then we have a word that is given for uh, the high priest, Joshua. So we're going to look at that. There's significance. There are some things that are said about this. Oh, there's one more thing I need to go over with you. Meant to go over this with you earlier. I'll make sure we get it here. The, um, there are people that will assume some things about this first vision. And I'll show you in the text, you can't possibly make that assumption and why you need to be careful with people and what they're teaching about the Word of God. All you need to do is know the full Word and you'll be able to, to knock that out right away. But um, there was... Um, oh, i got to remember which, which this was. There was a question that was sent in. Max and me had just been sending in some fantastic uh, questions on that. And they asked a question about the chapter in Revelation. I didn't bother putting it on up. I said, you know, not enough people are really looking at the things I put up here on Facebook, and I really want to make sure that y'all all got this. Do you remember in the verse of Scripture in Revelation where it says they overcome by the blood of the Lamb? 
Yeah, it causes. Uh, there's a lot of people who teach doctrine off of that, and they will teach you that we overcome things in this world through the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever heard of things like that? All right. This is how. This is what happens when you get out of the context of a thing, and you don't have to get that far into the context of this. They have taught things from that verse that are so not in that verse, and I want to just take a few moments with you since we've read Revelation and been through it. When he says, these are those who came out of the great tribulation who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, right? And they overcame the beast by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to notice one thing that every single one of those persons has in common. They are all dead. Every single one of those people that Jesus said overcame by the blood of the Lamb, every one of them is dead. How did they die? At the hands of the beast. So the people that are in heaven that were martyred for the gospel and died are in heaven and Jesus says they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, right? They're in heaven. What did they overcome? I mean, come on, we're assuming all sorts of stuff. We overcome sickness by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome poverty by the blood of the Lamb. Any of those people sick? Any of those people poor? Is that what he's talking about? No. They overcame because the beast is trying to destroy them and he can't. Because here they are in heaven. Why? Why are they in heaven? Same reason you're going to be in heaven. By the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb gives us access to heaven. But every single one of those persons in that context, every single one is dead. Not alive. Everyone is dead. And those are the ones. That's the group. He doesn't point to anyone on the earth. He does not point to any of the ones still remaining on the earth. He points to the ones that are dead and in heaven. He says that group has overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Because they overcame power of death. They overcame the fear of forsaking Jesus. And Jesus said, those who endure to the end will be saved. The beast wanted to destroy them. He wanted to turn them from their faith. And they would not turn. And they overcame. But every one of them is dead. I've always thought it fun, funny that uh, the people who teach all sorts of stuff out of that verse Never point to the fact that all the people that overcame are dead. And everything they want you to overcome is in life. Be careful what people teach you. Make sure it's in the Bible. Make sure it's, it's part of the Bible. Especially when you take one verse over there and make it teach things that is not anywhere else in Scripture. Don't let people do that to you. Look at the full thing because what happens is my understanding is compromised. I'm getting a meaning that is less than what God intended. My application will not be correct. I won't be walking in wisdom. I'll be walking in foolishness. And the enemy just loves that. Have a great rest of your week. If you have any plans for the weekend, hope they, they go well.